0: into Common Ground Live and it's really fun for me to see all the comments you are all making to each other, uh, the encouragement that's there, just the good morning. I I feel to a certain extent like I'm in the back of the room and people are coming in and we're saying good morning. So thank you for engaging. For those of you that are online there and and inviting others, uh, thank you. This is awesome. So we... uh, Thinking about today, you know, we thought about are we going to continue with our same series or are we going to do something different? And we landed on we're going to continue through 2 Peter. Uh, I think that our message today is, is apt. I think it's timely. So grab your Bibles, uh, turn to 2 Peter. That's where we're going to be. Uh, again, this is one of those where we believe God was leading us before he even, before we knew this was going to happen, uh, planning what we were going to teach on. So turn to 2 Peter. But we are going to begin with a uh, a poll. Now, again, we're trying out the technology. Maybe this will work. Maybe not. But if you have the ability, click your link. Um, I think it's anonymous. So here's here's the poll. the 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 questions are: Is this in the Bibles? So here, here's our test: How well do we know our Bibles? And here's the first true/false question: Is uh, money is the root of all evil? Is that in the Bible? True, false. Is that a true statement? Money is the root of all evil. Now, I'm looking at mine. I'm not seeing the poll. It's going to take a second. You'll just have to keep going and let them answer later. All right, so here's the second one. It is your responsibility to judge those inside the church. True or false? How about the next one? God helps those who help themselves. True or false? Is that in the Bible? God helps those who help themselves. And here's the last one. Is this in the Bible? If anyone's name is not written in the book of life, they will be thrown into the lake of fire. All right, how'd you do? Let's see. uh, The first one. Money is the root of all evil. False. That is not in the Bible. What the scripture actually says is that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So that's one that's often twisted. How about this? It's your responsibility to judge those inside the church. True. Paul wrote that, that we are to judge fellow believers. We're not to judge non-believers, but we are to judge one another uh, for godliness. Here's the next one. God helps those who help themselves. False, that is not in the Bible. That's just one of those things people say. And then the last one, if anyone's name is not written in the book of life, they will be thrown into the lake of fire. That is true, that is found in the book of Revelation. So how did you do? How well do you know your Bible are in those four statements? That's our question. And here's kind of what we're gonna see today. We need to know our Bibles. We need to know the word of God so that we can recognize truth, truth, and falsehood, because our lives depend on it. Now, last week Paul taught through Second Peter. Uh, we looked a little bit uh, from Second Peter into Chapter One, into Chapter Two, and looked a lot at false teachers. And he showed, showed us that example of a, a, a thing of water, you know, that we were going to drink. And what if there was just one drop of toilet water in it? Of course, we wouldn't drink it because that one drop can the whole. Similar to that, false teaching, moving in a little bit of false teaching, a little bit of untruth can really lead us astray. Uh, Again, 2 Peter. And here's the big thing. If you're a note taker, uh, let me encourage you, uh, download the app. If you have the app, our notes are on the app, use that. Uh, There's going to be outpost questions this week. They're really now home study questions. Uh, Use the app for that. But as we're looking, here's the first note. There are false teachers... And we want to learn to recognize them. And that's kind of what Peter is going to go into now. There are false teachers, and he's going to show us how to recognize them and the things that they try and do. So look at 2 Peter chapter 2. And I'm going to start in verse 9. Paul taught on, on 9 and 10. Uh, there, there's kind of a, a change in thought mid uh, verse 10, but I'm going to start in 9. It says, Then the Lord knows, How to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Basically here, you know, Paul has been talking about false teachers, and here we can trust God to judge those false teachers, and we can trust God to reward those who belong to him. And now here's this transition. Now we'll see a description. Here's how we can recognize these false teachers. Second half of verse 10. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. So here's the first thing that we see. Uh, these false teachers are bold. This is in your notes, if you're a note taker there. Uh, there uh, false teachers are often bold bold and arrogant, and out for themselves. That's what he's saying here. Now again, as we see these descriptions of false teachers, not every false teacher is going to have all of these, but probably all will have some. Here he talks about blaspheming the glorious ones. That's probably talking about angels. Uh, They're probably speaking boldly against angels or or something in that realm, Uh, but the truth is we see here that even angels don't speak against other angels before God. So so these glorious ones that are close to God, they're not doing what some of these false teachers are doing. The point there is that they're bold and arrogant. This is somewhat unique. As you look at these angels, again, a, a false teacher is going to speak against those. Anytime in scripture you see an angel show up, the first thing they say almost every time is, don't be afraid. Why? Because angels are kind of like these these stacked, yoked, you know, ripped, powerful beings. And when they show up in the glory of God, people fear and they they have to do something about that. Well, here, these false teachers don't respond that way to these glorious ones, these angels. Look on at verse 12. But these, again, these false teachers, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. Peter is not pulling any punches. Again, if you remember the context of Peter, uh, Peter is probably in Rome. He's nearing the end of his life, and these are his last words that he's penning. He's writing this down for Christians scattered around, and then also for us. And here he wants to make very clear, you know, he's not gonna be mamby-pamby about these false teachers coming right at them. They are bold, they arrogant, and here they blaspheme. That word is unique, blaspheme. It means these false teachers often speak lightly of deep spiritual things of which they're ignorant. You see that? They're, they're ignorant. They speak like they know. They sound good. They use spiritual words, but they really don't know anything about what they're, what they're saying. And here they will be destroyed. They will suffer wrong. They will be judged for it. Again, they know the right words. They revel in their deceptions, if you see that. Meaning they're deceiving and they revel in that. Not all false teachers know they're false teachers. Let's be clear about that. Some get it wrong and they don't know that wrong. But there are many in the church that know that they're wrong and they're just out for their benefit. They're out to use God's word, to use the church for their own benefit. And we'll see that as we go on. But here's what we need to notice. The end of verse 13, and this is a big deal. They feast with you. This is probably talking about uh, the, the, the Lord's Supper. So the early church, a lot of times they would get together, they would have a feast, and during that feast, they would uh, take the Lord's Supper, what we call communion. So here's the point that, Paul, that Peter is trying to make. These false teachers are among you. Paul talked about it last week. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. They look good. They know the right words. They're in and among the church, uh, and, and a lot of times they are leaders in the church. These are charismatic personalities uh, that people are drawn to. And so they are uh, among us. Again, a lot of times we can think that, that the danger for the church is outside the church. But really the danger is right here within the church, these false teachers. Look at verse 14. Again, he's going to describe them. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice Unsteady souls, they have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children. They have eyes full of adultery. Now, of course, we know that adultery is sex with somebody that is married that you're not married to. So you can commit this if you're married or not married uh, by sleeping outside of the, the marriage bed, basically. But here we see their, their characters and their deeds. False teachers often stray from biblical morality in regards to sex between one man and one woman within marriage. Again, here's one of those signs right here. Um, they, uh, Again, full of adultery, insatiable for sin. I want to skip back just a page real quick and look at 2 Peter Chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Peter wrote this, and this sets the context for a lot of what we're reading now. It says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scriptures comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter understood the scripture. All the New Testament writers understand the scripture to be the Old Testament. Genesis to Malachi. That was the, that was the scriptures that they had, that they used. Now, later in Second Peter, Peter is going to refer to Paul's writings as scripture. Now, Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. You read some of Paul's writings, he refers to Luke's writings as scripture. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts. So scripture here refers to the Bible that we have, Genesis through Revelation. And it is written, if you look there, chapter 1, verse 20, it's not from someone's own interpretation, meaning we don't get to read it and go, I think this is what it means, Scripture, just like anything else written, can only mean what the writer intended it to mean when they wrote it. So when we read Scripture, we want to try and find out what did the writers intend for it to mean? What did they want their original readers to hear and understand and do in response? We do that work, we study, and then we go, now how does that apply now? And you see in verse 21, again, still 2 Peter 1, 21 that this prophecy, meaning these scriptures, were not produced by the will of men, but men carried along by God wrote the scriptures. So there's this cooperation between the Holy Spirit and those who wrote it that God had written what he wanted, but he used human authors and personalities. With that in mind, come back to this. 2 Peter two, fourteen says they have eyes full of adultery. So here, they are rejecting the biblical morality of sexuality, of sex between man and woman within marriage. Any teacher that rejects that or moves there, right there, false teacher. Because they are straying from what the Bible clearly teaches in regards to sex. Now, he's going to go on in in response to this greed. He says this in verse 14, they're trained in greed, accursed children. Read verse 15, forsaking the right way they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. What in the world is that talking about? There's a story in the Old Testament. Again, Peter so often quotes or refers to Old Testament. He knew that to be scripture. So here, there was this character in the Old Testament. He was a pagan. He was not Jewish. Uh, God's people were the, the Israelites, the Jews and, uh, their enemies hired this, this guy Balaam, um, to come and curse Israel. Now, again, he was a false prophet. He was not a real prophet and he went to them and he kind of held out for more money. He said, I'll curse him, uh, but wait, you know, I need to go talk to God. And God did speak to him and said, no, you can't curse him, bless him. But, but his whole reason for doing this was for financial gain. He was using you know, false prophecies uh, to enrich himself. And at one point, this, this false prophet is going to try and curse the nation of Israel, and an angel appears in front of him to block his way. The donkey moves and goes another way. An angel appears, and so Balan gets angry, and he gets off his donkey, and he starts beating it, and the, the donkey speaks. The donkey says, hey, aren't, aren't I a good animal? I've been good to you. Why are you beating me? What's interesting, I think, in the Old Testament is he doesn't respond with this ah, a talking donkey. He then actually speaks with the donkey, and it wasn't the donkey speaking. It was, it was God or an angel speaking through the donkey. But the point of that whole story was this false prophet was so ignorant and spiritually blind that a dumb animal set him straight. That's why Peter's using this reference. That these false teachers, they look good, they sound good, but they're so ignorant and self-absorbed that even a dumb animal could correct them. And here's a big point. False teachers use their influence for financial gain. They use their influence for financial gain. That's why he's sharing this story as well. So let's put a couple of those together. How do we recognize false teachers? Their view of, of biblical sexual morality and their view of money and their use of money. When I was uh, a contractor, and I was a contractor before I became a pastor, and, and I, I got a job working for, a, I was a subcontractor for another contractor who got a job uh, for a church. And it was a, I thought it was a great opportunity because I had been trying to witness to this guy that I was working for. And we got this job at a church, and I remember pulling up, and, uh, and the church was in a very poor neighborhood, and we were, you know, checking it out and looking at the scope of the work and what we were going to do. Uh, I had met some of the parishioners that were there. And then up rolls the pastor. And the pastor comes up in his Cadillac Escalade. And he gets out with, with a, you know, this giant kind of a gaudy watch and gold chains around his neck. And he kind of came strutting up. And he introduced himself to me as Rev. And I said, well, what, what's your name? You're, you're not my Rev. <laughs> you know, and he said, I, I just go by Rev. And it was this unique disturbing guy who clearly you know and and they had several events where I saw their parishioners these people didn't have money but here their their reverend was flaunting his money his gold chains and his watches and his big shiny car and then the nail in the coffin was later uh, when they got the bill for the job they didn't pay this pastor uh, leading this flock allegedly would not pay the contractor for the work that he did It was very clear he was out for himself and the signs were there in just his use of money. Now, as I did my research on this topic, it really kind of made me a little bit sick to my stomach of the people that use scripture or or use a spiritual influence just to gain money from people. You can just do a, a Google search of some of the richest pastors and they have mansions here and mansions there and all this stuff and they're getting it from people. But then look at their teaching again. Having money is not a bad thing. But look at their teaching, and you see it doesn't line up biblically. So this that's a sign. Again, people can make good money. I, one of these guys on the list is a multimillion-dollar pastor who's written and done good things. They're living on 10% and giving away 90%. So you can see how people use money is evidence. And then you look at their teaching. See the sign, then look at the teaching. You know, I, I got to just point out one of the great false teachings right now across the United States is prosperity gospel. It's this idea that God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. And so as long as you're living rightly, you will be healthy and wealthy. If you're following God rightly, he's going to make you rich. And often these false teachers tell you, give money to God and he'll give more to you. What they're really saying is, give your money to me and God will give you more. It's not true. There was a, a few years ago, I attended a, a prayer rally and I thought it was an exciting thing, bring the city together uh, and somebody was speaking on prayer and I was a little bit disturbed how often they were asking us to log in and give them money, log in and give them money. The emphasis seemed to be from some of them, we're gonna pray, but really we're here so you can give us your money. When I looked at this list, the leader of that nonprofit makes almost a million dollars a year begging people for money. So again, money is not the root Of all evil, but the love of money is, and a lot of times these false teachers, they're all about money. And here's their target who are they looking for? It says here in verse uh, 14 they entice unsteady souls. Here's where we need to pay attention. Who are they enticing? Unsteady souls. These are people who don't know the Bible. Or they read it incorrectly. They don't know how to read the Bible. These false teachers target unsteady people. Now, this can be those who don't recognize the authority of the Bible. You know, maybe they see it as just a a historical book that, you know, was a translation of a translation, and they got it wrong. Well, as you look back at what Peter thinks about Scripture, that's not what Peter thinks. Peter thinks it's authoritative. If you read what Paul writes in in 2 Timothy about Scripture uh, and what the writer of Hebrews writes about Scripture, they believe that it is the Word of God, completely useful and infallible. And so the steady soul is the one who believes the Bible, the one who searches the Bible. Paul last week referred to the church in Berea. And I want to read to you, don't turn there, but Acts 17, 10 through 11. This is the writing about this church in Berea. When the missionaries came to them, Paul and Silas, when they came to them, shared with them the truth of Jesus, the gospel, here's how they responded. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They heard the good news, they liked it, they were eager for the truth, and then they searched the scriptures to see if this was so. If you remember when Jesus died on the cross, and then he rose from the dead, there were some disciples walking on a road from one town to the next, and Jesus hides who he is from them and walks with them. And as he's walking along, he describes to them, he explains to them using the Old Testament scriptures that all the things that happened to Jesus were predicted. These are the things that had to happen to the Jewish Messiah. Their eyes were then later opened, they knew it was Jesus, but the scriptures are used. What's your application first? Know your Bible. Know your Bible. And listen, you can't just depend on somebody else to tell you about the Bible. You can't depend on your pastor to explain it to you because, again, there are many false teachers out there. Know your Bible. Now, we've already talked about two, but I think my personal opinion, there are three great areas of false teaching right now that are dangerous. The first one is the prosperity gospel. That says, you will be healthy and wealthy if you follow Jesus. You know, if you do the right things. When in reality, Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. You know, taking up your cross, that means suffering. As you read the New Testament, you read scripture, we will be called to suffer for God. This abundant life isn't one of health and wealth. God may give it to th- that to us in his blessing, but that's not a measure. So prosperity gospel, when you hear it, run the other way. It is not true. The second one is universalism, the, the teaching that eventually everybody is going to get to go to heaven. You know That's why at the beginning, I, one of those passages I quoted was that if your name is not found in the book of life, you will be cast into the lake of fire. The truth is, is hell is a very real place. The Bible really leaves no room to discredit uh, heaven and hell. And so we have, there is judgment in the end. Some will go to heaven because of their faith in Jesus and his death and resurrection. Some will go to hell because of their rejection. Universalism says, no, because God is loving, everybody gets to go. Right there, reject that. That is a false teacher. And then the third, condoning sexual immorality. A great movement in our country and around the world right now, straying from the biblical sexual morality, and they make excuses. You know, it's because this is out of date, or that was cultural, or whatever it is. Those are three areas that are false teaching and are leading people astray right now. This is in your notes. False teachers will often draw others in by giving them permission to indulge in unbiblical and sinful passions. Look at verse 17. These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. You see here, they promise great things. They promise freedom, but they're still slaves. They, they, they're like a spring. Imagine that, that hot day. You know, We're here in Nevada. Uh, maybe some of you watching are somewhere else, but in Nevada in the summer, it can get pretty hot. Imagine that day working outside, you go to the hydrant, you turn it on, hopefully that nice cold water coming out of the well, and you turn it on and nothing comes out. That's these false teachers. They have a lot to say, a lot of promises, but it doesn't actually fulfill. And again, who do they target? You see here in verse 18, they are are enticing, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. Here's what this is saying, that's new believers. They, they target the new believers. They target those who have heard the gospel, have said yes to Jesus as Lord, but haven't had time to get in the word yet, haven't gotten to learn. They target those. Again, here's the good news. The gospel is that God loves us, that he created us for a relationship with him, that because of our sin, that relationship has been broken. But God sent his son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, And if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's Romans 10, 9. So again, that's the good news. That's how we're saved. And then, boom, you're saved. And now you enter this process of growing. And it's right there when people say yes, these false teachers target them. Uh, There's a, a pretty negative history in certain parts of the world of Christian missionaries coming in, just wanting to evangelize, get people to say yes, and then leaving. And after that, certain cult groups have come in afterward and swayed those people and drawn them to their side. So false teachers target new believers. Why do we care about that? Are you a new believer? Get in your word. Study scripture. Learn what it says. Compare it to what your teachers are saying. Compare it to what I'm saying right now. If you know non-believers, you have friends who are new to the faith, don't just leave them to their own thing to figure it out. Help them learn their Bible. Again, anytime we get these questions from from young believers, new believers, growing believers, mature believers, we want to go to Scripture as our authority. Does it sound like we're we're kind of hitting the same gong over and over? What was Paul's uh, great point last week? Believe the Bible, reject false teachers. What's the big point this week? Know your Bible, recognize false teachers, and don't be swayed. Now, we're going to look at a couple verses at the end. These last few verses uh, are confusing for some, and some have gone into error because of them. Let me read them. Verse 20 For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness then after knowing it, to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Some will take these verses and say that means somebody can lose their salvation. Right here, this is a a Christian who was saved, then rejects it, and walks away. Here's the thing. Here's a great practice. We've, We've said know your Bible. Part of knowing your Bible is reading things in context, and scripture interprets scripture. So, what is this saying? Is this saying that a person can lose their salvation? Look down at, at verse twenty. For if they, it all comes down to who is that they. If that they is just any believer, th- then it could look like somebody's losing their s- salvation. But that they is very clearly in context the false teachers. So, this whole passage has been talking about false teachers. Anytime times it, it says they. It's the false teachers. So right here, we read it the same way. This is talking about false teachers. And what does it say about these false teachers? Look back at verse 12. They're irrational animals, creatures of instinct, caught to be, are born to be caught and destroyed. Does that sound like somebody who's a believer? Or, or looking on, uh, they will be destroyed in their destruction. Also, verse 12. Somebody being destroyed. Again, this is uh, eternal judgment, hell, Christians will not experience eternal judgment. But here, these are are reserved for that. And and you look on, it says they are accursed children. Well, if we belong to Jesus, if we've placed our faith in him, we are not accursed children. And then finally, Balaam, they make this comparison to him. He was not a Jew. He was not one of God's people. He was not a believer. He was a pagan. And then finally here in verse 22, the dog returns to his varmint, the sow, which is a pig, Uh, returns to wallow in the mire. You know, dogs and pigs in that time were seen as unclean, filthy, dirty. They didn't bring their dogs in their house like we do today. So clearly this is talking about non-believers. So these non-believers look good. They know the language. They're in the truth. They've heard enough of the truth that they can speak it, but they haven't bought into it. They don't really believe it. Now, again, context. Scripture interprets Scripture. I want to point out just a couple other Scriptures. Philippians 1, 6. Paul writes, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Again, our salvation is a gift. We don't earn it, so we can't lose it. It's begun by God. It will be completed by him in Jesus. 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Here's the point. There's gonna be some that join the church, uh, that say yes to Jesus, that that look good, and then wander astray. And yes, we can have times as believers of of doubting and wandering astray, but God will bring us back. Uh, We've seen that that previously in the book, that God disciplines those he loves. He'll he'll do things to bring us back. But here, now look back at these scriptures It says in verse 20, The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way than to have learned some and then walked away. What's he saying there? These are false teachers leading people astray. James, Jesus' half-brother, wrote this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Again, this picture here is false teachers leading people astray will be judged harshly. False teachers will be judged harshly. Matthew 18, 6, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. What a warning. So again, here's these false teachers trying to lead people astray and God will judge them. But what's our application? You know, what do we do with this? Again, you read this, and Peter is writing to believers. He's not writing to false teachers. He is writing so that we can recognize false teachers. That's his point. So what's our big point today? Know your Bible. Know your Bible. Study your Bible. You know Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That abundant life is found, we know how to live, by studying our Bible. And then... As James also wrote, we then become doers of the word, not hearers only, who deceive ourselves. We have a unique opportunity. So some of us are out of work right now. Some of us are locked at home. Some of us are locked at home with a lot of kids. Um, but here's our opportunity. Study the Bible. Maybe you've, you've known you should and you wanna spend time in it, but you just haven't been able to make the time. Well, now the time is given to you. What a great opportunity for us to get in God's word. Now, uh, on your your... The app on the Common Ground app, you can go to the study questions or outpost questions for this week. There are three passages. Look at one a day this week, you know, and study it. What does it say? What does it mean? How do we apply that? These are passages that will help you understand the truth in opposition to some of the false teaching out there. You know, again, the better we know the truth, the quicker we recognize the counterfeit when it comes our way. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, we're going we're to sing a couple songs. We're going to close. Uh, I'm going to pray for us. But again, here's our application. Spend time in the word. Heavenly Father, um, we do have a unique opportunity right now. God, we have an opportunity to love others. We have an opportunity to serve. But also, we have an opportunity to draw close to you. Uh, Jesus said that it, you said eternal life is that we know Jesus Christ and, the, and God the Father. Uh, the greatest commandment is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So our reason for existing is to know you and love you. And I ask right now, Holy Spirit, that among all of us watching that, we would be inspired to spend time in your word, not just believe what Derek says or another teacher or another pastor or a certain author, but that we would go to your word. That if we struggle believing it, we would believe it and we would make it a priority in our lives and that we would then experience the blessing That comes from that, the blessing of peace, of joy, of hope, of confidence in you. And God, we ask in this time that you would live in and through us to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen.